We're going to open up to James uh, 1, verse 17. James 1, verse 17. Page 1199, if you're using a pew Bible. James 1, verse 17. I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open throughout the sermon as we're going to be looking at some of the surrounding verses as well uh, to understand this verse aright. James 1, verse 17. Hear the holy, inspired, and inerrant word of God read for you now. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. People of God, on Thanksgiving Day, we take time to express our gratitude to God for the good gifts that he has given to us. This morning, we're simply going to think together uh, about those good gifts that God gives to us, those gifts for which we give thanks today. And we're going to think about those gifts in light of James 1, verse 17. This is a familiar passage of Scripture. And the first simple truth it sets before us is that there is a variety to God's gifts. There is a variety to God's gifts. And the variety to God's gifts is captured by the first word of our text, every, every good and perfect gift is from above. That word every tells us, doesn't it, that there is is a, a multiplicity to God's gifts. There is is a variety to God's gifts. God's gifts take more than one form, come in more than one way. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Now let me ask you, what comes to your mind when you hear these words, every good and perfect gift? What comes into your mind when you hear that? The first thing that comes into my mind is children. And the reason for this is probably because I've received no shortage of birth announcements in my life. You know those things that people have a baby, they mail out a birth announcement, it tells you the the baby's name, it tells you the date the baby was born, and tells you the the statistics of the baby, if we might call it that, or the metrics, or whatever, whatever the language is, its weight, its length, right? And often on those cards announcing the birth of a baby, I've seen this verse, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, and, and the parents, then, of that newborn baby are, are finding in their child an application of this verse. They are seeing in their baby one of God's good and perfect gifts. I think that's right. I think that's appropriate. The Bible says children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? They are good and perfect gifts. What, what else comes to your mind when you hear, uh, hear these words, every good and perfect gift? Well, well, maybe, maybe a spouse comes to mind. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. 
And so, right, in, in his wife, a godly husband should see something of God's good and perfect gifts. And in a husband, a wife should see something of God's good and perfect gifts. I think, I think that's appropriate. What about creation? Creation. Do you remember what we're told in Genesis 1? God saw all that he had made and it was good. Creation, I think, falls into the category of a good and perfect gift from God to us. We can think of other things too. Good health. 3 John 1 verse 2. The apostle prays that his readers may be in good health. He knows that good health is a gift and a blessing from the Lord. There's food and clothing. 1 Timothy 6, 8 says, says that if we have food and clothing, we, we should be content with that. Those are good things. Those are gifts from the Lord to us. Okay, lots of things come to mind. Now, I've just been drawing on scripture uh, in my understanding thus far, but I, I, think, I think we have the wisdom to, to see in other things good and perfect gifts from God. I, some years ago, it was, it was quite a while ago, it was probably seven or eight years ago, we were in need of a vehicle, had been having some vehicle issues, and um, somebody gave us a, a Toyota minivan. Uh, it had about 310,000 miles. It was a fleet vehicle at their company, and he said, you know what, I know, I know you could use this van. I just, I want you to have this van. Wasn't worth much, didn't look that nice, but that thing drove like a champ, all right? In fact, that's the reason I have another old Toyota van now. You can't beat a Toyota, all right? Uh, that thing ran like a champ. And we got that Toyota van, and we drove that Toyota van for a long time. It gave us no problems. But I remember one day, I was riding down the road, and I rode past our mechanic, all right? And I looked and I thought, you know what? I haven't been to the mechanic in forever. And when I realized that, I, I recognized that the van, that old van that we had been given, it was, for our family, a good and perfect gift from above. Lots of good things come to mind when we think of good and perfect gifts from above. Here's one, however, that may not readily come to mind. What about, what about trials? Trials. Would you consider a, a trial, a difficulty, a hardship, to be one of God's good and perfect gifts? I would dare to bet that's exactly what James has in mind here when he writes these words. These words before us this morning are written at the end of a section which tells us that God brings trials into our lives for the purpose of making us into mature Christians. Look at how this section begins. Verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, that's what this section of James's letter is about. It's about the believer's trials and how we ought to view them and understand them and respond to them 
Okay, we, we need wisdom, of course, to understand our trials aright. That's what James tells us to ask for in verses 5 through 8. And then in verses 9 through 11, he tells us again why our trials are beneficial and why we ought to rejoice in them. There he writes, verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he, the rich man, will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James's point there is that the only thing, the only thing that will keep the rich man from fading away in the midst of his pursuits, the only thing that will keep the rich man from preoccupying himself to death with the cares of this world are the trials which humble him, are the trials which bring him low. Okay, it's only in and through humiliating, humbling trials that the rich man comes to see and recognize and know and understand that it's in Christ alone his hope is found. And I think this is, this is proved by even our own experience, isn't it? I would say we all classify as rich men, all right? Some of us are more rich men than others, but we all classify as rich men. We all have money to give to worldly pursuits. And this, this truth is proved by experience. When have, when have you grown in dependence on God? When have you recognized that the things you've been given your heart and your time and your energy to really don't provide the genuine happiness and contentment and salvation you long for? When do you realize that? It's in times of trial, right? It's in times of difficulty, that's when we see our worldly pursuits for what they really are, vain, empty, unable to save. And look to Christ as our only hope in life and death. And so James says, let the rich man boast in his humiliation. Let the rich man count it joy when he meets trials of various kinds because God is at work in those trials to keep him from fading away in the midst of his pursuits. And then in verses 13 through 15, James is, James is calling us to think rightly about our trials. In those verses, he is, he is calling us to recognize that in our trials, God, he does not have it out for us. He's not tempting us to sin. He's simply testing our faith and strengthening our faith. And then after all of this talk about trials, James goes on to say what? Do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And when he says that, in this context, it's hard not to hear James saying, listen, Christian, these, these trials of various kinds, 
which come into your life, which produce steadfastness of faith as they humble you and cause you to look to Christ for salvation, even these trials are good and perfect gifts from God for the salvation of your soul. On Thanksgiving Day, we, we, we thank God for the many blessings he gives us. My grandma would always make us go around the table if we wanted dessert. We had to say three things we were thankful for. I wasn't going to do it until she put the dessert on the line, and then I was, God, grandma. Right, it was always, right, we were little, but I'm thankful for my dog, thankful for mom and dad, thankful for good health, whatever it might be. That, that, that's how we often approach our thankfulness on Thanksgiving. James here is saying you'd also do well to thank God for your trials, for your difficulties. For these things are too, in the grand scheme of things, good and perfect gifts from above. Charles Spurgeon recognized this. He once said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Indeed, people of God, there is variety to God's gifts. Variety that even sort of exceeds our capacity to understand and comprehend. But we also learn here that there is constancy constancy to God's good and perfect gifts. Listen again to what we read. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Okay, so, so in the first part of this verse, James is focusing our attention on the gifts. Now in the latter part of this verse, he focuses our attention on the giver. And he tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Why does he call God there the Father of lights? Well, maybe it's because light was the very first good gift that God gave to us. Genesis 1 Verses three and four. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from, from the same God who gave the first good and perfect gift long ago. But he says something else about God. He says that with this father of lights, with this one who gave the first good and perfect gift long ago, there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, if we think of the lights God has given us, right, they vary and they change, don't they? The moon, it waxes and wanes. The sun rises and the sun sets. The stars appear at dusk and the stars disappear at dawn. The days, as we know well this time of year, get shorter. Man, the nights are getting long already. The, the sun changes. The light changes. The, the lights vary, and the lights cast shadows, and they move. 
But God, the Father of lights, He does not. He does not. And the point then is that even as God gave good gifts in the very beginning in creation, so has God continued to give good and perfect gifts, and so will God forever give good and perfect gifts, precisely because there is no variation or changing with him. He will continue to give good and perfect gifts precisely because God is, he is unchanging in his goodness and in his distribution of good gifts. Okay, that's our God. He is by nature a giver of good gifts. That's what James is saying here. Giving good gifts is part of our God's nature and being and character. Giving good gifts is what our God did at the very beginning and it's what our God continues to do today. He's a giver. Think about it. Think about it. It's probably not a coincidence. What is perhaps the greatest, most well-known verse in all of the Bible? What is the verse that summarizes the good news of the gospel probably more succinctly than any other verse in the Bible? What is the verse that more human beings, Christian and not, know more than any other verse? It's probably John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave his one and only son. That's our God. Our God is a giver. He was a giver at the beginning. He continued to be a giver throughout history. He is still a giver today, and he will be a giver forever and ever. And so the believer can look at his life or her life, and the believer can see that God has given good gifts, right? I can, you can, right? Look back on your life. Has God given you good gifts? Has God given you more good gifts than you can even number, than you can even count? Absolutely, he has. Why are each and every one of our lives so full of good gifts? Have you ever thought of that? Why? Do we deserve these good gifts? Are good gifts the birthright of a human being? No, these good gifts all flow from our ever-benevolent, all-giving God. And of course, not only can we look back and see that God has given us good gifts, but we can take comfort even today, no matter our circumstances, in knowing that God will continue to give good gifts. He will continue to pour blessings upon us in abundance. Why? Because that's the kind of God he is. He is the father of lights. He's been giving good gifts since the moment he opened the book of this world. And he will continue to do so. Because with him there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is, a, there is a constancy to God's good and perfect gifts. It's part of who he is. And we praise him for that, and we thank him for that today and every day of our lives. The God who is the giver of good and perfect gifts. But we also learn here that there is a greatest of God's good and perfect gifts. There is a greatest of God's good and perfect gifts. What is that? Well, it's the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We see this in verse 18. 
All right, in verse 17, James writes, uh, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He follows this up by saying, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So there in verse 18, James is speaking about God, how God has caused us to be born again through his word. But the implication in context here is that this is the greatest gift of all. That is, there, there is no gift that God gives which is more excellent. There is no gift that God gives which is more good and perfect than the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. This is the good and perfect gift from above par excellence. And there's two applications that arise at this point. The first is this. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift which comes down from above, okay? Salvation is not something we earn. It's not something we attain. It's not something we discover. It's a gift which comes down from above, a gift which is to be received by faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift. The second application of all the people in the world today, it's the Christian who has the most reason to be thankful. And the reason is, as James says here, it's because the Christian is the one who has received the greatest gift of all, the salvation of his soul. Listen, people of God, your sinful nature doesn't tell you this, but this is, this is the truth. The gift of salvation is better than all the money in the world. The gift of salvation is better than big houses and fast cars. It's better than health. It's better than children. It's better than getting married. It's better than having a vacation home or going on a, or going on a dream vacation. The new birth, regeneration, the gift of saving faith, it's the greatest gift of all. There is no way that God could bless you more. There is no greater gift that God could give you than the gift of saving faith. That's the testimony of Scripture. The unbelieving millionaire with his yacht slipped on Lake Makatawa has received less from God than the Christian living over in Haven Heights Apartments. Understand that well. Christ is that glorious. The gift of saving faith is that precious. It's the greatest gift of all. Do not forget that. As sinners, we forget that. I, I forget that. I set my heart on other things. I say, God, why can't I have what they have? God says, excuse me? 
by my own will, (laughs) by my own sovereign, gracious will. I I have brought an undeserving sinner like you forth unto salvation. Excuse me? While you were dead in your trespasses and sins, while you were helpless and hopeless spiritually, I made you alive in Christ by grace through faith. And this is a gift. A free, sovereign, gracious gift. It's the Christian who has the most reason to be thankful today. Because it is the Christian who has received the greatest gift of all. May God help us to not just believe that in theory, but to believe that really, truly, and experientially. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the perspective your word gives us in the midst of our trials. We thank you for the insight your word gives us into your character and being. And we thank you for the way in which your word cuts through the lies of this world and reminds us that if we are your children, we have everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.